Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action broad, a podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black Power 96.3 WBPULP St. Petersburg, Florida, and now available as a podcast as well. You can follow us on Podbean. Go to uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. My name is Jamie Simpson, host of Reparations in Action. I want to welcome everyone back to this week's Reparations in Action show, in which we will discuss some of the most pressing issues of these times of a colonial system that is in profound crisis. We are white people who are in solidarity with African liberation and under the leadership of the African liberation movement. We want to express appreciation, uh, a big thank you to Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP St. Petersburg, the entire radio station. We are very honored to have this program to address other white people on why it is our responsibility and indeed in our interests to unite with the African community's just struggle for reparations and self-determination. So let's start off with our first segment today, which is going to be on the deepening crisis of imperialism or colonialist capitalism. So as the crisis of imperialism and this, this parasitic system deepens, and every day uh, during the pandemic, the conditions of the colonized African and indigenous people and others are catching hell. With me today is Penny Hess, Chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee to sum up the current situation. Uhura, Jamie, thank you. And it is great to be here on Black Power 96.3 FM and to be part of an organization of white people standing for reparations to African people, actually organized under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party as the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, which I have the honor of being. And of course, I want to salute Chairman Omali Ishitala, who leads the Uhuru movement and the African Revolution as the chair of the African People's Socialist Party. So I wanted to get into to this website today, Business Insider, ran an article saying that in the US, billionaires got $637 billion richer during the pandemic. And you know, just to mention that the U.S. stock market is 16,000 points higher than it was 10 years ago when the economic downturn took place around 2009, 2010. And in fact, the wealth of the stock market, so when, you know, it's at about um, 20, it's over 26,000 for the stock market. And that represents dollars for them that represents real money and actually the wealth of the u.s stock market is at least 35 trillion dollars so as we know the trump administration and the federal reserve put in at least 2.5 trillion dollars into wall street in march of this year as the colonial virus shut down the economy but it's not just trump but also obama after the 2008 crisis who put in 13 trillion dollars to the banks Meanwhile, U.S. Congress has apparently all gone on vacation and uh, have not given anything into resources to African people and working people as the $600 weekly unemployment insurance ran out last Friday, leaving more than 40 million families desperate as they face no jobs. There is no resolution to this. They put in money to Wall Street, to the billionaires within minutes of when 
they think a crisis happens. But African people, I mean, this is a serious crisis inside this country, and especially for those colonized inside the borders of the United States. So as we reported on this last week, but obviously this hasn't been resolved and it is deepening, but the crisis is compounding for African people as 40% of the African community are reporting to the Census Bureau that they do not have enough food to feed their families. They are hungry, their children are hungry, 40%. And the end of the moratorium on evictions on federally subsidized housing, which is about 40% of housing and apartments at the end of July and the possible probable tidal wave of evictions that the media is predicting around the country is just deepening. So we're talking about 40 million families facing the possibility of eviction. According to a report from CNBC last week, due to the end of a moratorium on housing evictions and the end of the $600 a week unemployment insurance that um, is fairly keeping fam unemployed families alive, 40 million people. So, you know, just, we, the media is really not saying very much about this at all right now, but I know from being out in Oakland, California, and San Francisco, San Diego, also Seattle, where there are already massive tent cities where African people and homeless people are forced to live on the street in the face of the greatest wealth that exists inside of the U.S. Um, you know, we see that. That's going to be intensifying. I believe that there's already a hundred homeless encampments in Oakland, California. Um, you know, we're going to see this growing and, and, and uh, you know, just the conditions worsening for African people and colonized people in this country. So all over, you know, we've already reported on the fact that all over the U.S. homeless food programs, food programs for the homeless are overwhelmed by the response. And I see this right around the corner here in St. Louis, where I live, where cars wait in line for food given out by a church for, you know, they wait for a half hour, hour in a long, long line. And so, you know, what we see is that every aspect of this pandemic, of this coronavirus affects African people who bear the brunt of it, along with indigenous and Mexican people and Spanish speaking people inside the US. And it's every, the whole gamut from a lack of healthcare to colonial treatment in healthcare facilities to the fact that African and Mexican indigenous people die 2.5 times more often than white people of COVID-19 according to the Brookings Institute study that came out in June. And then the economic and political reality is here. This is it. And this is why Chairman O'Malley Shatella and the African People's Socialist Party have called this the colonial virus. You know, these, these are such stark, infuriating mm -hmm. numbers. Uh, Penny, can, can you tell us what this will mean for the work of the African People's Socialist Party and the African People's Solidarity Committee? Well, obviously, the, um, hold on one second. Sorry, my radio just turned on mysteriously here. Um, so the party is, is, 
and has been for the last three years in particular building the black power blueprint for political and economic power uh, to be controlled by the African working class. And it, you know that is not an anomaly of what the African People's Socialist Party does because its whole work has always been about seizing power in the hands of the African working class. And in fact, the African People's Socialist Party has over 50 economic institutions that are for self-reliance, that are about creating a dual and contending political economy that negates the power of parasitic capitalism. You know, Chairman Omali Shatella has really been called on um, to be on radio shows and all over the media in the last period and himself goes on social media, not only on his political education on Sundays at eight o'clock Eastern, but also every um, Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock Eastern, which I call people, calling people to check out, which is on his, his Facebook page, Chairman Omali Shatella. His overarching um, recurring theme is that there is the need to go beyond protest, that the problem is colonialism the uh, political and economic domination of a whole people by a colonial state power and the entire colonizing nation, that the struggle is for power, not against racism. The chairman has had, this is his mantra, he has been laying this out and giving this information and winning a huge base from the understanding that the question facing African people is a political and economic question of the, the domination by a foreign and alien imperialist state power, which is the US. So the party represents African people led by the African working class fighting an anti-colonial struggle, just like the struggle of the people of Vietnam, the people of Cuba. It wasn't against racism. It was against the colonial domination and for political power led by the African or the working class, the colonized working class. So clearly the chairman is making it very clear that the system can't be reformed, it must go. It was built on the enslavement of African people, the, um, you know, just on the theft of Africans and the genocide of indigenous people and the genocide of, of Africans as well throughout the continent of Africa and throughout the Americas where they were forcibly dispersed and forced to labor for free for hundreds of years. So as white people, we have to get organized too. And you know, protest isn't enough. Reading a book about unlearning racism really doesn't do anything to change the world because we live in a system that we sit on the pedestal of slavery, of genocide, of colonialism. And this is why we see this, this double standard of living and experience, you know, that if we're honest, we look around us and, you know, we see that. There's no comparison to the reality that white people experience and to what African and oppressed people experience. And if we're honest and probably if we're listening to this show, we admit that, you know, we say, yeah, I see that. And that's why I want to do something. 
And, you know, Penny, I, I, your point is well taken. I know in this period there are increasing numbers of white people waking up to this question of, of the oppression of African people. And increasingly white people are realizing that indeed there are two Americas, mm -hmm. uh, one for African and colonized people, one, one for white people. But once uh, we recognize that, how can we change that? Well, I think that's a really good question, Jamie, and I appreciate that. Because, yeah, I'm glad you're bringing it back to this um, incredible resistance that we have seen in the last two months, nearly, or a month and a half, since the brutal police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which, as the chairman says, you know, as we know, is not unusual. What is powerful, what sparked this interest is not that that happened, because that happens literally three times a day, or a thousand at least a thousand people are killed by the police in this country. And that comes down to three a day. And the majority of them are African, Mexican, indigenous, as we know. So that's not unusual. What's a, what happened was the incredible, powerful resistance of African people burning down and seizing police stations and targeting the colonial, um, the, the monuments of colonialism and, and, and the police and the elements and, and representatives of the state that target the African working class every day, that's what was powerful. And it sparked the, the need and the ability for millions of white people to take a stand and to be able to see this reality. But, you know, one protest or, or marching or even a few weeks of protests and going to it, going to them is not going to change these conditions. So what we have to do is we also have to get organized, but we have to be under the leadership of the African working class organized. We have to be under the leadership of the African self-determined movement, their own definition of it, not something that we determine or that we say ought to be but we have an assignment under the leadership of the African working class, which is very, very serious about gaining power, seizing power, and liberating Africa and all the stolen resources that has been a trajectory in you know, African history for the, for the last several hundred years. The African People's Socialist Party is serious about solving all the problems that are obstacles to attaining that goal and to actually winning. And part of that is to organize white people under their leadership. So we've got to get organized under the leadership of African revolutions. There's no other way we're going to come to the conclusions about what it is that needs to happen. We need to organize and raise reparations, not as a favor, but as a return of the stolen wealth and the value of the stolen labor of African people and the stolen wealth that goes on today. We don't need to talk about racism. Talk about your bank account, your social wealth, and turn it back over. And we have to take on the struggle with our own ruling class. Wall Street and the 1% have to pay reparations. We have to stand up against them. They own about at least 35% of the world's wealth and more, and they got the main share of the stolen wealth, resources, and labor of African indigenous people, but we helped them. We got our bit. Now we have to say no. We jump off that pedestal. We separate ourselves from our ruling class, and we're going to take them on. We owe reparations. 
but they owe reparations too. And we're going to force that. And that's what we're doing under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party. And number four, reparations is taken on as a revolutionary demand. It's not something that I do to for another individual, for an African person. That's charity. But this goes to actual programs created by the African People's Socialist Party, the Uhuru Movement, the African Working Class, such as the Black Power Blueprint and the Movement for African Liberation. And if you're listening to the show for the first time, I ask you to go to blackpowerblueprint.org and check it out. All the history is there of that program and how we can support it as a stand of reparations. And finally, find out more about the African People's Solidarity Committee and the Uhuru Solidarity Movement the whole movement that's growing to make Wall Street pay reparations, get involved with the work, do something, take on a, an, a fundraiser for reparations and join the future led by the African working class that creates a whole new world without oppressors and the oppressed. That's how we're gonna change the world. Very simple, just get out there and do it. Penny Hess, thank you so much for that analysis. We really appreciate it. Let's leave it there for today. turn on reparations and action to a recurring topic on this program, the moneyed sector of parasitic capitalism. Jesse Neville is the coordinator of the Uhur Solidarity Movement's national campaign to make Wall Street pay reparations. Jesse, what is the latest on the question of the moneyed sector? Good to be here, Jamie, and I uh, just want to appreciate reparations and action, this show, and uh, as well as the uh, previous interview with Penny Hess, the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee. And it is always great to be on this program as a white person who unites with the struggle of the African community for self-determination and reparations uh, to talk about the campaign that the Uhuru Solidarity Movement is involved in, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement being the organization of white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party under the leadership of Chairman Omalu Yishatela, we're carrying out a campaign right now called Make Wall Street Pay Reparations. And this campaign is something that is designed to target the moneyed sector, the white ruling class, with the demand for reparations to the Black Power Blueprint. One of the things that we wanna look at today is something which uh, Penny mentioned earlier, the way is that the ruling class have been exploiting this colonial virus pandemic as yet another opportunity to benefit, to profit in the trillions off of the suffering and, and oppression and misery of African people and other colonized people. So I wanted to start off by reading an excerpt from an article published in Common Dreams uh, about the study recently released by Oxfam entitled Pandemic Profiteers Exposed, which reads, while the United States faces the deepest economic downturn since the Great Depression because of COVID-19, 
a subset of corporations is reaping dramatic profits that are flowing to their already wealthy, mostly white male shareholders, further exacerbating existing inequalities, according to a new analysis released by Oxfam today. In pandemic profiteers exposed, Oxfam found that 17 of the top 25 most profitable US corporations, including Microsoft, Johnson & Johnson, Facebook, Pfizer, and, v and uh, Visa, are expected to make almost $85 billion more in 2020 than in, in previous years. Oxfam is calling for a resurrection of the World War II era excess profits tax to limit pandemic price gouging, level the playing field between companies and raise much needed funds for COVID-19 relief and recovery, such as providing ongoing testing and vaccines for every person on the planet. The article continues, the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed deep inequalities and massive uh, failures in the economic system, leaving tens of millions of people in the United States without jobs and devastating public services and bankrupting countless small businesses, says uh, Irit Tamir, director of the private sector department at Oxfam America. Quote, yet at the same time, thanks to a combination of government assistance and pure luck, a handful of corporations are raking it in and making already rich shareholders even richer. We would obviously disagree that it is a question of luck. It is a question of parasitic capitalism uh, that is raking in the profits for these corporations while African people are suffering. Companies in the uh, 500 index saw a 12% decline in profits in the first quarter of 2020 with an expectation of a 39% drop in profits in the second quarter, small US companies are reporting their earnings have halved in the first quarter of 2020, with analysts expecting these small firms to lose a stunning 85% profits in the second quarter. But at the same time, 17 out of America's top 25 corporations are making extraordinary profits during the pandemic. While these profits could have been invested in protecting workers and in innovation. Oxfam found that in 2020, the top 25 most profitable US corporations are set to distribute 99% of net profits to their shareholders. Oxfam also found that more than nine out of every $10 of excess pandemic profits will end up in the hands of white people with only 32 cents for African and Latino uh, communities. Meanwhile, black deaths from COVID-19 are two times greater than would be expected, and that's an understatement, based on the share of the U.S. population, with Latino people also making up a share, a greater share of confirmed cases in their share of the population. And this is just a recent study that was released, but this is the tip of the iceberg. We've talked before about how people like Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, uh, in just a few weeks following the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, he uh, increased his net worth by, I think it was $58 billion, which is larger than the gross domestic product of the economy of Honduras. So this is happening in, in so many different ways. And of course, uh, the US government has been shoveling over trillions of dollars of, of African people's resources into these banks and into these corporations. So the quick comments that I wanted to make on this is that 
Oxfam is calling for a, an excess profits tax. The Uhuru Solidarity Movement and the Make Wall Street Pay Reparations campaign, we're calling for reparations. These parasitic bankers and corporations who are reaping a profit off the suffering and the genocidal colonial virus that is wreaking havoc on African people at a time when, as Chairwoman Penny stated, you know, 40 million people are facing eviction. 40% of African families can't even uh, confidently say that they, they will be able to feed their families. And these banks and these corporations are raking in billions of dollars that they have to pay reparations. They must be forced to pay reparations to African people. And, you know, there's always this talk about, well, where's the money going to come from or how much are we talking about and so on and so forth. But that is being increasingly exposed as a ridiculous question. Obviously, the US government can come up with two and a half trillion dollars to give to the corporations under the guise of the so-called CARES Act. The, those trillions of dollars should have been given as reparations to African people. And I wanted to say quickly about the CARES Act that it, the CARES Act included about $485 billion specifically going towards bailing out corporations you know, as we know, the entire stimulus package was a bailout for the corporations, even the measly little $1,200 checks that they sent to uh, people in this country ultimately was a bailout for the corporation because where does that money end up getting spent on whatever small amount of groceries that amount of money can afford you at a corporate grocery store. So the whole thing was a corporate bailout. But the specific money that went towards the corporations, $485 billion, the way that worked is that money was actually given to the Federal Reserve to capitalize a loan leveraged 10 times over, meaning that the actual amount of money given to the corporations from the CARES Act was closer to $4 trillion, almost twice as large as the total stimulus package. Uh, and that is on top of, as Chairwoman Penny mentioned, more than $13 trillion shoveled over to the banks during the Obama era bailouts. So as conditions of colonial poverty deepen for African people, these banks are profiting. That is why they must be made to pay reparations to African people. And white people have a responsibility to wage this struggle, to demand reparations from our ruling class, not just for the historic profiteering that they all engaged in on the enslavement of African people, because that is something that we are exposing is that every single major bank and corporation, even clothing companies like Brooks Brothers, they all got their start in the enslavement of African people. And some of them have even apologized, quote unquote. But the fact of the matter is it never changed. They, they are continuing to profit from the oppression of African people up to this very moment right now. These banks are profiting off of the oppression and misery and death imposed on African people and the call for make Wall Street pay reparations is a call to white people. We, we are being called upon to make Wall Street pay reparations. So it's actually a slogan and a demand that is a call to action to the general white population. And it's something that we are saying because it's a call for us to break from our tradition of opportunism and complicity with our own ruling class. And as Chairman Amalia Shatella has said so so eloquently on so many of his presentations and writings historically as as white people we have not fought against our ruling class 
We have not fought against the parasitic capitalism built on the enslavement of African people. We have fought within capitalism. We have struggled with our ruling class for a greater share of the spoils of the colonial capitalist oppression of African people. That is what class struggle has looked like uh, inside of the white world historically. And this is a call for something different, for something very profound, for us to divorce ourselves from our ruling class and to become, to go from being their greatest ally to their worst nightmare. That's what the Make Wall Street Pay Reparations campaign is about. Uh, so it's a campaign against colonialism, against capitalism. And one of the main demands of our campaign is that colonialism has to go. And I just appreciate um, what was mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, don't talk about your racism, talk about your bank account, talk about your, your, your uh, social wealth and talk about what you're going to do to struggle with, with your ruling class to make them pay the ultimate price of reparations to African people, because that is a stand that we can take against colonialism and in solidarity with the anti-colonial struggle of African people. Really appreciate that, Jesse Neville, on that, that report from, from the front lines of the struggle for reparations against the moneyed sector. Can, can you talk to us about the March for Reparations that's gonna be happening on October 17th? Absolutely. Uh, the March for Reparations is a major event that the Make Wall Street Pay Reparations campaign and the Uhuru Solidarity Movement are carrying out in cities throughout the United States. We will be hosting a major demonstration uh, marching for reparations to African people with Make Wall Street Pay Reparations as one of our key demands, specifically targeting Bank of America, which contains within it all of the elements of what parasitic capitalism has done and is doing to African people, and which is one of the two largest banks in this country that got its start off of the enslavement, the, the, the enslavement of African people, uh, using enslaved Africans as collateral on loans, actually owning enslaved Africans, and, and so many other ways uh, that you know, funding the plantations and in providing insurance to slave owners and in so many other ways functioning uh, as, as key instruments in the system built on the enslavement of African people. So uh, we've been holding demonstrations in front of Bank of America locations throughout, uh, throughout the US and we intend to keep doing that as well as other kinds of actions, but we, we want all of it to come to a head on, on October 17th. And we intend to have massive demonstrations um, in every city, this is not going to be a repeat of Occupy Wall Street. We want this to achieve the size of Occupy Wall Street, but with the politics of reparations to African people front and center, as opposed to going down the same old tired opportunistic uh, line of saying that we're the 99% trying to equate ourselves with the rest of the peoples on the planet Earth uh, in order to absolve ourselves of the responsibility to uh, pay reparations. So this is not that. This is something different. This is a revolutionary march for reparations. It's a socialist, anti-capitalist march for reparations. And we expect uh, you know, huge numbers of white people to be out there marching under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and, and building a major campaign to make Wall Street pay reparations. Jesse Neville, thank you so much for that report.
Um, really appreciate the, the, the work you're doing and, and the, the research that you're bringing us on this question. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this, uh, this march and this campaign before we wrap this section up and move on to the next one? Uh, I don't think so, other than just to encourage people to join us, go to wallstreetreparations.org and fill out one of our volunteer forms and get involved. Uh, we have, we're doing actions in St. Petersburg. We're doing actions in, uh, in Boston, in New York, in St. Louis, in Portland, uh, in uh, Wisconsin, in many places throughout this country. And we want, you know, if you're listening and you wanna hear your city added to that list, then go to, or if you're in any of those cities, go to uh, wallstreetreparations.org, sign up, get involved, and, and let's get to work building this campaign, building this movement. All right, Jesse Neville, once again, thank you so much uh, for contributing to Reparations in Action. And uh, let's leave it there for now. You're listening to Reparations in Action. We'll be right back with an interview with Mads Ambrose from the Uhuru Solidarity Movement out in Portland. Uhuru, welcome back. You're listening to Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 WBPULP in St. Petersburg. And uh, momentarily, we're going to be talking with Mads Ambrose about the political situation out in Portland uh, that's been going on over the past two weeks. And uh, we, we, we will be bringing her on momentarily. Um, and we wanted to really put this comrade forward uh, for their leadership out in Portland and, and salute the all the comrades of the Solidarity Movement in Portland. So I, I wanted to ask a comrade Mads, Mads Ambrose of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement in Portland. Are you there? Yes, can you hear me okay? Yes, Uhuru, welcome Mads. Thank you for being on Reparations in Action today. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Could you talk to us a bit about the political situation there in Portland over the past two weeks, where we've seen massive demonstrations that have been taking place and Trump has sent in federal troops. So what's what's that look like on the ground? Yeah, so 
Um, there have been masses of people in Portland protesting every day since the murder of George Floyd. And people really rose up in solidarity with, you know, Minneapolis and to, to, protect, to protest the police violence and the murder of African people. And just so you know, you know, a little bit about Portland and our demographics is that, you know, less than 3% of the population are African people. So the majority of the protesters that are out here are white. Um, and in fact, Oregon itself was founded as a white haven in the mid 1800s, you know, um, the white nationalism and KKK literally having, you know, you know, openly serving on, you know, government positions at this time, they legally barred African people from even living in Oregon mm -hmm. and that they could like beat them if they did not leave. So, um, and of course, since the mid 1800s, there have been, you know, massive destruction to any kind of black economy through gentrification and redlining. So there literally is no neighborhood that is central to the black community in Portland. And um, so us in the white community in Portland are living really comfortably off of the genocide of African and indigenous people as we, you know, moved into their neighborhoods. You know, they built highways and hospitals for white people on, um, you know, on these black neighborhoods that used to have a lot of black economy and power. Um, and so, yeah, so Portland's really known now as this really progressive city, as a really, as a, as a protest city. And we often like, there are face-offs with blatant white blatant white nationalists in, you know, white power groups that we've, that we've gotten international, national attention for Portland before. Um, so since Trump sent in federal troops, um, you know, using unmarked vehicles, snatching people off of the street, protesters off the street, deploying more and more tear gas and, and shooting rubber bullets, you know, in the faces of, of protesters and other horrible, you know, crimes. Um, there have been even more and more people showing up, um, you know, upwards of 2000 people for these protests. And so there's really been a struggle with the protests, protesters within themselves. Um, and, you know, even at the very beginning of the protest, um, there were struggles being taken on of white people taking over the protests, you know, silencing black organizers that were out there trying to organize. Um, there really haven't been any clear demands from the protesters or real any real uh, clear organization. And even, you know, some of the demands that I have seen are coming out of the criticism of um, you know, the white community really taking over these protests and really centering themselves and not prioritizing what this whole, you know, in solidarity with George Floyd and Minneapolis and, and protesting police violence against the black community. It's now been this like fight against fascism and the feds. And, you know, the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, Omalia Chatella speaks, you know, extensively even recently, but I know uh, has for a long time, as well as other, you know, African black power organizers and leaders um, about how the white community 
you know, when we experience a fleeting, you know, bit of the system that doesn't benefit us, like the feds coming in and, you know, trying to control that, that we call it fascism. When, you know, the reality is, is that the black working class, indigenous people face these conditions every day. And it's because of colonialism. And so, you know, the state, you know, will hunt and murder and torture African and colonized people constantly. I mean, that's what, you know, they're set up to do at the border and in the inner cities and, you know, calling on federal agents is something that the Trump has, you know, Trump has, has talked about doing in black communities for a long time. And I mean, how many, you know, black children, indigenous children, people are just missing, you know, you know, just made me think of that whenever people were, the pro white protesters were missing because they were being snatched up and nobody knew where they were, you know, how many times, you know, have we heard about um, indigenous and African people just missing and this, and, you know, all of this happens to keep, you know, white people in Portland comfortable, you know, the, 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 the attack, the state attacking, you know, uh, black and indigenous people is happening in our name to, you know, keep, keep our neighborhood safe and our, you know, uh, our resources safe. But, um, you know, the videos and pictures of white people being forcibly taken and attacked is now making national news and people are outraged about it. And it's because it's happening to white people. And, you know, just to give an example of some of the, you know, this, instead of it being a story about, you know, black lives or, you know, in, in, uh, in solidarity with, you know, um, the black community rising up for power, you know, it becomes a story about, you know, a naked protester that has, you know, went in front of the, the feds um, or the wall of moms who were all, you know, white people, white women, um, and they're, you know, getting praised and ignoring that, you know, black mothers have been on the front line for a long time fighting for their families and their children to stop being murdered and attacked by the state and CPS and other colonial institutions. And this has actually started this, this, I do see this being criticized, you know, even the wall of moms have been criticized by other black organizers in Portland, because they say, you know, you're deflecting the true reason why these demonstrations even started. So I really applaud, you know, fellow white people in Portland who are outraged, you know, about the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, T.T. Gully, who was a, you know, a, an African woman lunch chair in Portland, you know, all of that being really um, talked about, um, but that we really have to take ourselves out of the center of it and recognize that it's colonialism and we are colonizers and, you know, just really, we don't want to continue to hold up this focus on white people, you know, which no. is like, you know, a, a focus of like white nationalism and understand that our position are, you know, as colonizers and beneficiaries of police terror, instead of making it, you know, making it about fascism or racism that's oppressing black people, at, but it is colonialism. Wow. I, we, I really appreciate that summation and, and report, Mads. That's just been, including all that historical context that adds so many layers of, of understanding to this. Could you tell us a bit 
and, and I, I think you already probably spoke to some of the politics of it, but could you speak to the demonstrations that the Uhuru Solidarity Movement Portland has been holding uh, specifically in front of Bank of America? Yes, yeah, so um, USM Portland, um, under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, has taken up the call to join the, the Make Wall Street Pay Reparations campaign, which is now targeting Bank of America and Brian Moynihan as the CEO. And we've held now two different um, demonstrations in front of different Bank of Americas. And we have amazing comrades here who are, you know, talking to the people and shouting about reparations. And the other day, um, we were out last Saturday on Hawthorne and it was like, uh, for those of people who know Portland, Hawthorne's a very uh, affluent white neighborhood with cafes and coffee shops and, you know, uh, boutiques and stuff. And we were, you know, out there uh, chanting about reparations to African people and um, Bank of America owes reparations. And um, we did a little march down the street um, while people were eating brunch, you know, so it was very exciting. And so, you know, we're really, um, we're, we're drawing the line between the Wall, Wall Street and Bank of America and the police violence that's happening. So, you know, the, the fact educating the people um, and passing out flyers about our demands, um, you know, about how specifically Bank of America, Brian Moynihan, et cetera, has, you know, literally, you know, donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to different police foundations. Um, they, as well as, you know, uh, starting off with using African human beings as collateral to even build, you know, their uh, institutions and um, really just, and also, you know, donating to, you know, the prison industry and uh, strategically not giving loans to uh, black families uh, to push redlining. So um, really because of, you know, the work of the party and the chairman, you know, drawing those lines for us, we're able to be out there um, talking about these demands and we want to be out there really regularly. So we're out there with um, chants and literature and bringing, you know, white people who um, who don't want to um, see another, you know, African person murdered down on the street to draw them to the Make Wall Street campaign, the uh, Make Wall Street pay reparations, Make Bank of America pay reparations campaign as a real solution and as a real strategy. Uh, and it's been, um, you know, really successful the last couple of times we do it and we're going to continue to do it. So uh, very exciting stuff. It's a very exciting campaign. I, I so much respect for it. It's a, it sounds like a campaign that has truly done its, its research in terms of uh, why reparations are owed. Um, Mads, could you uh, talk to us about why you think it's important for white people in Portland in particular, to join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and to be organized under the leadership of the African working class? Yes, I, you know, I think that a lot of white people in Portland, like I said, really want to see the end of, um, you know, police violence and don't want to see um, the murder of African people and, and all of that. And the, 
the truth is, is that us as white people can't come to these conclusions, like the party has drawn the line, you know, has known the history of um, how Wall Street and Bank of America has funded um, basically the genocide of African people in the name of us as white people to then move to, you know, move to Portland and move into these neighborhoods and have our cafes. So we can't come to these conclusions on our own and we have to be under the leadership of the African revolution within you, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. If we really wanna see the genuine, you know, end of the system that we don't wanna live, you know, at the, live um, in the system anymore. And I think it's also, you know, something, the struggle that, you know, white, the, the white community has of not understanding our, that we are the beneficiaries, you know, we are the colonizers. Um, you know, we might go out and protest and get tear gas in the face, but then we still get to go back to our white neighborhoods and live safely. And um, it's just such a critical time for all these white people that are coming to having to really face their their position in the world and their um, relationship to this system. And the Uhuru Solidarity Movement um, under leadership of the party really, um, you know, understanding what the understanding that we're fighting colonialism, understanding that we're fighting for black power and that for um, for African people to not be murdered by the state police, they have to have power, you know, power over their own lives to make those decisions. And so I just, I mean, this is any good of any time, good at anytime now, you know, to to join organization, because if we continue to do go out there and, you know, do whatever we think that needs to happen, we're always going to, it's always going to lead to us, you know, centering ourselves and centering like our own internalized racism or um, our own, you know, uh, having to talk, you know, a lot of we need to talk to our, you know, family about racism. We'll talk to your family about joining USM and being on the leash of the party and really making um, the strategy happen. And I just really appreciate the chairman and APSP for really um, making this organization happen and letting white people be a part of the anti-colonial revolution. And there's so many different ways to get involved with the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. You know, we have a, the protest going on in Portland, if you're in Portland, um, as well as, you know, um, raising funds uh, through the reparations challenge, working for reparations. And, and again, I don't know if I said this clear enough, but really that strategy of, of white people um, working for reparations in our own community and then going after reparations to our own white ruling class is going to, you know, be a part of the strategy of black power to to African people to really give the final blow to to colonialism, capitalism, these colonial institutions of the police, of ICE, of um, CPS, of all of these other, you know, it, it brings clarity to uh, fighting the system. And um, I definitely encourage anyone listening, wherever you are. You know, it's an international organization, so you can, if you're a white person and listening and want to join and actually be a part of um, creating this uh, 
you know, or being a part of white solidarity with black power and really making a real change and joining and uh, the fight for reparations to African people, that's where you need to be. Otherwise, we're just doing whatever we want to do. And it's, it's always going to, I think Portland's a really perfect example of what happens when white people aren't organized and under leadership is this chaos of, um, centering the white, you know, heroes that come in. Um, so I just, yeah, I really want to encourage anyone listening to go to hurusality.org and become a member and, and figure out, um, how to really be a part of real change. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. That, that website again, that you're talking about Mads is uhurusolidarity.org. Did I get that correct? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Excellent. And uh, just want to say, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, Uhuru means freedom, right? Which is which is why we say it to each other so frequently. So I, I just really appreciate your work um, and, and leadership around the Uhuru Solidarity Movement in Portland, Oregon, Mads. And thank you so much for coming on Reparations in Action today and, and giving us this outstanding report. It's so bold and optimistic. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Uhuru. Uhuru Mads. Uhuru. That was Mads Ambrose of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement Uhuru, in Portland, Oregon. Just fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Jesse Neville, for uh, the work you did in engineering that interview. Um, I think that uh, work is so critical, you know, to, to everything uh, that we're discussing, to, to reparations and, and that, that question of the self of self-absorption that Mads was talking about that the white tends to get in. So um, we're, we're coming up on the last uh, six to seven minutes. Uh, Penny Hess and Jesse Neville. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to really appreciate the show. And, you know, just sorry I didn't get to say it before Mads left, but I really appreciate her work, their work. And just, I think it's been at least three or four years now that Comrade Mads has been active in Portland and in this whole, you know, way before these rebellions have taken you know, have taken place and that um, Comrade Mads just saw the Uhuru movement um, and created an event, held an event by herself without anybody else, made their own PowerPoint and um, held an event and laid the, these politics out of the question of reparations, parasitic capitalism, colonialism. And it's just been out there as a profound force in Portland in this colonizer lifestyle little scene that you know that that Portland and, and the West Coast are known for and has um, really organized the largest city you know number of members for any city in the US that we have are in Portland so I just really want to salute comrade Mads for their work and uh, just thank them for being on fantastic um, I, I, I really want to want to echo that, and um, hopefully we can uh, have you back on, Mads, so that you can have some time to talk with Penny and Jesse. Um, and we, I want to say before it gets too late to remind everyone uh, of the leadership that Mads was talking about, that you can experience this Sunday. Uh, come to the study. Omali taught me with Chairman Omali Eshetela on the Burning Spear YouTube channel and Chairman Omali Eshetela's Facebook page. That is every Sunday at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And also, I wanted to uh, let everyone know Black Power Blueprint webinar is happening tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Uh, Black Power takes root in North St. Louis. We will never forget Mike Brown. That is an event, the event you can register by going to tinyurl.com slash six years after. That's all yeah. letters, six all one word. After, just sorry to interrupt, but this is we're coming up on, on August 9th on the sixth year anniversary of the police murder of Mike Brown in Ferguson, which is a northern St. Louis suburb and the incredible re rebellions of the African working class at, at that time as well. That's going to be so powerful, uh, so timely. Again, uh, go to tinyurl.com slash six years after if you would like to find out more information about that event. And um, it's, again, six years after the brutal, as Penny said, the brutal police murder of Mike Brown in Ferguson and the powerful uprisings led by the African community. The Black Power Blueprint has transformed North St. Louis. Black Power Blueprint is taking territory and economic and political power into the hands of the African working class. You can join this web show with testimonies from a powerful panel of speakers, including Tacharo Masimba, director of the Black Power Blueprint, Kalambayi Andanet, president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, and Yezi uh, Masimba, uh, project director of Africans One Billion Strong. An important study is coming up entitled, It is every Jew's responsibility to oppose the colonial settler state of Israel. That will be taking place on the International uh, Palestinian Days of Resistance on August 8th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Jesse Neville, member of the African People's Solidarity Committee, will present a study on the history of the Zionist colonial settler state of Israel, the genocide against the Palestinians, and why all white people, including Jews, must stand in solidarity with the Palestinian, African, and colonized peoples of the world who are fighting to reclaim their land, freedom, and self-determination. You can register for that at tinyurl.com slash victory to Palestine. I want to remind everyone that you're listening to Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP in St. Petersburg. I want to thank this radio station for giving us this hour every week to bring this message. I want to thank my uh, co-hosts and producers and uh, engineer Jesse Neville. And I want to thank you, Penny Hess, for uh, being on the show today. Your work is outstanding. I salute you both. And to everyone who tuned in, we will talk to you next week on Reparations in Action.